Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tops Talk, and we thank you for listening in from whenever and wherever you are. I'm your host, Alex Birch. This episode is a special one for me, as I got to interview two friends of mine who are writers and statisticians for ESPN's partner website, 538.com, which is getting a lot of attention these days thanks to the very exciting and even more unpredictable election season we are currently nearing the end of. About a month ago, I had the pleasure to host Harry Enton and Neil Payne in the office, where we opened up some boxes of baseball cards and had a conversation about statistics, fantasy sports, and much more. The website 538, which was founded by Nate Silver and backed by ESPN, is one that highlights statistical analysis, projections, polling, and more. I have with me two members of the staff, Neil Payne, who is a senior sports writer, and Harry Enzim, a senior political writer and analyst. Both of these men are big-time sports enthusiasts, but only one of them is infatuated with 1980s and 90s sitcom theme songs. Guys, thank you so much for coming in, and I can't wait to discover which one of you that is. Why don't you guys open up your box? Thank Harry, God, I've Harry's been waiting. Having, yeah, 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 sorry, been, Harry. Harry literally <laughs> trying to open it with his teeth earlier. <laughs> it is true, folks. I did see that, and uh, if this, I have the wrapping here. If anybody wants, um, you know, game wi- used, right? Game used, Wizkid, Harry Enten, <laughs> uh, rapper DNA, I suppose. Um, Harry is opening up this box in one of the most unconventional ways I've ever seen, which is bottom up, essentially. What is the matter with you? The, yeah, Neil is Lots doing so in the very traditional the storefront way. Yes, yes the, the recommended manner. So let's talk a little bit about baseball cards. Neil, Did you, when you were younger, did you uh, collect baseball cards? Did you kind of have an idea about, about them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, completely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like... You know, from the earliest memories that I have of like Christmas Day, uh, you know, would get packs in the stocking and kind of open it up. Uh, and yeah, I was really into all sports card collecting. I think my collecting peak was around uh, about sixth, seventh grade uh, into hockey cards, actually. I had quite an extensive hockey card collection and kind of found like the only uh, hockey card shop because I guess during this time they actually had hockey card specific shops and and, and tell everybody where you were from yeah I'm is... from Atlanta Georgia so this Atlanta, is kind Georgia. of telling me that uh, that you know hockey had really reached a fever and collecting I guess at the same time had reached like a fever pitch if, if down there uh, and I think this was when the Thrashers were um, had been announced and kind of uh, people were excited about that and that worked out really well yeah that excitement really stayed <laughs> yeah um but that's. And I'm also interested in why you're a Met fan if you're oh, from a, down there. I'm a big anti-Braves fan. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> and that goes back to around about the same time. Uh, you talked about the '98 Mets. '99 uh, was the time in which the the Braves-Mets rivalry, I think, hit its uh, its peak. And uh, it's uh, apex. It's apex. Exactly. Um, <laughs> John Rocker was that that year? Or maybe oh like yeah, it was '99. John Rocker, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, of course, hated John Rocker. Hated just that whole team. Did not care for Chipper Jones, and you know a lot of the kids in my class. I think it's kind of similar to your experience with the Yankees, Harry, growing up in the Bronx. Like something, there there are people that kind of root for the hometown team and kind of buy into that. And then there are people that just sort of are annoyed by those kids in the class that have that. And uh, I think I 
me and this other kid uh, were kind of wanting to be contrarian, picked up the Mets that year and wanted to root against the, the Braves. And it didn't work out in the end. But um, yeah, and, you know, I was really never uh, I my father was a Red Sox fan. Uh, and so I, you know, picked that up, of course, when the Red Sox were reversing the curse in the mid 2000s. And, uh, you know, when my dad passed away, I kind of felt a drift in without a team and and uh, when I moved here to New York, I rekindled my Met fandom, which, you know, came at, at the right time, I have to admit, also, um, with uh, with the run that happened last year. And we even got Harry excited. I remember seeing the clinching out of the NLCS at my apartment with him. And he seemed like a Met fan, you know, just like the rest of us, even though he won't admit it now. <laughs> no comment. Ah, uh, there it is. No, I, it, was, it was hard not to get caught up in that was, last year. It was hard not to get caught up in it, and I was going through a difficult time then and so I needed a little distraction Um, but for sure but I mean for me it really was you know baseball car collecting I was huge we had I don't know if you remember this Alex but Alex and I were friendly for a while well I remember that Um, (laughs) I remember very very well we had known each other for what about 21 years something like that years go by let's just say that (laughs) some kid who was born when we first met could buy an alcoholic beverage legal that is true that is true that is a sobering realization yes Um, yes it is not for the kid not for the kid no for us (laughs) um and i i there was a baseball card shop magnum yes in in riverdale yes um riverdale the bronx that's right and uh you know you go and you collect it was a comic shop it was a baseball card shop you know you could buy individual cards you could buy packs of cards and so I basically had a whole bucket full of cards that and my father was claiming that I should sell and they'd be worth so much. I mean, let's be real. I don't think anyone wanted a half-bent John Stark's basketball card. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, I would have taken it. Yeah, that's because <laughs> Actually, you, me too. You have, yeah, that's because you have no class. But no. <laughs> uh, I, so I had done that for a while. Uh, I haven't collected cards more recently, if only because where are you going to put them in a studio apartment in New York City? But That's true. I, I, I've enjoyed sports, obviously. Uh, I was a huge fan of the 1999 New York Mets, still probably my favorite team, although my favorite moment ever, I think, going back, besides Johnny Damon hitting the grand slam against the Yankees in Game 7 of the 2004 <laughs> ALCS, was probably, and I remember this so well, I was in my parents' uh, what we called the family room, and we didn't have cable at the time, and the Mets were playing the Astros, and it was a four-game series. There was a doubleheader that was being made up in Houston, which is so funny because they had the Astrodome, but somehow they had to make up a doubleheader game. But it was the final game of that series. The Mets had won two out of the first three, and they were down 2 nothing in the ninth inning. Billy Wagner was on the mound. They somehow got first and second, and Mike Piazza was down an 0-2 count to Billy Wagner, brought it back to 2-2, and then hit a three-run home run. And if you just watch the pitch, which is now on YouTube, thanks to a certain someone. I, it was um, one of the most insane swings and home runs ever because you forget how good Piazza was at his peak. This is a high fastball away that would blow by most batters, and Piazza hit an absolute line drive that was crushed. Opposite field. Opposite field. Opposite field. And the announcer couldn't even like catch up to it. <laughs> and it was just like, Oh, my God, a home run. Now, the Mets actually ended up blowing that lead in the bottom of the ninth. But then Todd Hunley, of all people, hit a go-ahead home run in the top of the 11th inning and won that game. And that 98 Met team was magical. And that 90, although they ended up losing their last five games and missing the playoffs by a game. And then the 99 team was still that same sort of magic and sort of figuring it out and comebacks and 
it never the game was never over and those are the teams that i love versus the yankees when they were at their peak the game was always over because they were always going to win <laughs> well and, and i think that was part of the the lore the allure of the team last year which is that it was it was never over they had a very consistent offense in the second half of the year and they had a lot of fight in them and a solid bullpen with an untouchable reliever who for reasons that are still trying to be found is very touchable this year but it still set the safe record last yes night. he did yes he did yes he did um but yeah and and so moments like that harry you know you have those moments to hold on to and and that's one of the reasons why i think that things like baseball cards stick around because it reminds you of of something like that or even like a little tidbit that you'd know about somebody for instance here i'm holding a carl yastrzemski yastrzemski is one of the greatest outfielders that this game has had and one of my favorite things about him has nothing to do with being an outfielder or even a baseball player but the fact that he was a scratch golfer but he swung righty because mm. he didn't want to hurt his left-handed baseball swing interesting mm. imagine how good he would have been if he played lefty yeah that's amazing it's absolutely amazing. Was he naturally left-handed? Yeah, yeah. In like he taught his himself life? righty. Wow. He taught himself a righty swing, and he was a scratch golfer, which, as someone who plays golf, makes me frustrated. But also, this guy is like in the 99.9% percentile of athleticism. Um, I can assure you that the results of me playing golf, either right-handed or left-handed, would be the same. So, <laughs> I remember you on a golf course, and it was not the same as a scratch golfer. But anyhow, so the two of you have found yourselves on some very successful podcasts yourselves. 538 Elections Podcast has just completely blown up. And uh, and so WizKid Harry Enton is, is what you, you know are, that name. What you are dubbed um, and also sung about. Uh, that's not a lie, by the way. And WizKid All right. Harry please Enten. don't. Please don't. Please don't sing that. It gets stuck in your head pretty quickly. <laughs> And and a hot takedown uh, for Neil. And by the way, is him singing Wizkid Harry Enten about himself? Is that a little like when Ricky Henderson used to talk about himself? In the yeah, third a little person, bit. I a little like. bit. I am the greatest of all time. I think so. Thank you. I think so. <laughs> um, and when uh, when you you know, let's say when you're talking about uh, certain statistics like that. I mean, what gets you guys excited about? Uh, explaining things to people that they really didn't know before and wouldn't know unless they listened to you. Well, I really love doing things like kind of applying stats to things that people didn't think that you could apply stats to or maybe Mm -hmm. answering questions that people hadn't at, either hadn't answered or hadn't even been asking before, and maybe that's uh, perhaps a criticism that you could also have. <laughs> but um, I just like the idea of sort of owning uh, geekiness and sort of like being like, look, this is what we do, and we're going to do sort of like w- however far you think that we can take it, taking it even further than that and kind of trying to, to do cool things with stats. I think that's what kind of motivates me. Sure. I, I want to clarify that I at least don't see myself as a geek. I see myself as a nerd. Ah, yes. Sure. Um, the eternal battle between geeks and nerds. <laughs> I think geeks are losers while nerds are cool and knowledgeable. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I, I would say what I find, I agree. I own my nerdiness. I would never. And not your geekiness. Not my geekiness. No. Never. This never. Comes, this, by the way, this comes from a man who I know for a fact 
loves Revenge of the Nerds, so that has to be play a part in in this love. I, I, I do love Revenge of the Nerds. You know, I had Poindexter. I, I point Dexter on this program. You had Timothy Busfield on this. Yes, program. wow, good yes. for you. But he, the probably Field of Dreams related. I'm guessing Field of Dreams and, and Little Bigley and, and Little Bigley. How could you, Luke Collins? He and I talked about his uh, and and it and at this point he will have been that episode will have happened already, uh, but Busfield was a wonderful interview we talked for two hours and he talked all about his experience filming with griffey and uh, filming with randy johnson and you know all these all these great players who uh, who some of them were great to work with others just would rather be anywhere else. Uh, oh, did he? Did he say <laughs> who? Who, who, who was, yeah. Who was? Uh, he'd rather be anywhere else. You're gonna have to listen to that episode. Uh, oh, <laughs> what is this? I like spoilers. I thought that I was in on the inside. Here. Nope, nope. You are. I'm firmly the, on the outside. You are firmly on the outside, very close to the inside. But the spoiler is that uh, Griffey actually really liked to wear his hat forward, and the, the backwards exactly. thing was just a scam. Exactly. It was all his dad's thinking. <laughs> No, but uh, but anyhow, um, but yeah. so the so being a nerd instead of a geek. yeah, I, so I, but I love that idea and I love owning it and I love the idea of of trying to present something and trying to put things into context. I think you know baseball statistics differ from political statistics or at least election statistics insofar as the sample size for baseball statistics is much larger. Uh, you you know you're projecting off of 162 games, multiple seasons. We have a presidential election only every four years, and we only have polling going back to maybe 1948 in most data sets and really 52 for the way we can d- conduct polls, at least in the modern sense. So they're very, the sample size is much smaller, and it's much more difficult. There's a lot more uncertainty, which to me reminds me a little bit more about football than about baseball, mm. which is kind of why I like football statistics a little more. There's a little more guessing going on. But I will say, of course, in baseball, you know, there's always that one-off shot that you couldn't quite figure out that player who somehow got through. So to me, the most interesting thing isn't what's predictable, it's what's unpredictable. And I think that's why this election cycle, for instance, has been so interesting to so many people is, number one, it's obviously the personalities, but also the sense that what we thought we knew about politics and specifically about elections isn't necessarily what we do know. What do you say to people, PG, what do you say to people who... Don't embrace these numbers, these, uh, the, I guess, the polling, the, the different statistics that you can add on to things that you never thought you could add statistics to. I mean, who, who just, they just, they're not on board with this stuff. I mean, what, what do you say to those people? I don't know. I'm kind of, uh, at this point, content to sort of let them kind of have their opinion. And, well, I'm you know, glad it's not that you let them have that I, that, that I share. But, you know, I, I think certainly in sabermetrics, there was like a long period of sort of proselytizing. And to be honest, if you go back and you look at the things that were written and said and the way that people were treated, like, for instance, even, you know, I love the guys that wrote this, but um, the Fire Joe Morgan blog, uh, if, you, if you go back and kind of look at it, it, it got kind of nasty at times and to be honest you know Joe Morgan uh, was was one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived and, and a hall of famer and and so you know I think there were there was a meanness 
face to it uh, in the early stages. And I think, you know, I'd like to think that I don't, you know, kind of, uh, I, I try not to come across that way, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, if, if I can like teach people something about statistics and, uh, you know, they, they get into it through something that I've written about sports, then that's fantastic. And, you know, if they kind of say, ah, you know, I don't know if this is for me, Ultimately, I think the way that teams have been built based on stats, and certainly in baseball, I think it's been more prevalent just because there's been more time. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And uh, for the most part, it's been acknowledged by every single team for years now that this stuff works. So it's kind of like why even fight fight a battle or or have an argument that's already been won in, in a lot of cases. Now it's just all about kind of, you know, seeing where you can go from there. I just say, bless them. Look, bless them. If they don't want to take part in something that I believe adds to their knowledge base, then they're allowed to do that. This is a free country. I think that people who like numbers um, and like specifically sabermetric-type numbers or sabermetrics and political statistics, you know, whether that be 538 or a website like pollster.com, if they don't want them at this point, then they don't need to take part in the quote-unquote revolution. I'm not going to make them. I'm a tired old man, I tell you. <laughs> tired old man of 28, I don't think is, I think is an oxymoron. You know, I've been through the battles. <laughs> I've seen the bloodshed, and I just don't need those types of people that they don't want to be on board at this point. We have, we have shown cycle over cycle, in my opinion, that the way we tend to do things is a way that adds to people's knowledge base and is ultimately the way forward. doesn't mean it's perfect doesn't mean that we know everything, but I'd like to think we acknowledge when we don't know everything. And I think that's really the wonderful thing about what we do is we, at least I don't pretend to be a know-it-all, or at least I hope I don't come across as one, but I hope that by doing what we do, we help explain what we're following in such a way that you understand what can be known and what can't be known. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that this election cycle, at least in the general election, and I'm hopeful that we'll continue to do so for years on end. And the people who don't want to take part in that, they don't need to. Postseason baseball is here. And what better way to follow along than by downloading the Tops Bunt app? All you have to do is either head to the app or Google Play Store, and you'll be on your way to collecting all different types of cards within the comfort of your own home or office, I won't tell anybody. You can not only collect these cards, but you can play them in daily and weekly fantasy contests within the app. We'll have all sorts of prizes for the contests this postseason, including physical ones like signed cards and memorabilia. And the best part about collecting cards on your phone or tablet? Your parents or wife or husband can't throw them out. Once again, Topps Bunt is found in the Google Play or App Store, and you can download it for free. Having a mobile card collection is only a tap away. What Neil said really uh, struck me, which was things that you didn't think stats could be associated with, but they can be. What is the most outrageous thing that you found that stats could be associated with successfully? Hmm. You want to take this one first? <laughs> yeah, I need I need a second to think about it. Because a lot of times on our podcast, hot t- oh, you got a Ted Williams, Harry. Hey, I told wow. you Ted was in this. There you go. It's pretty exciting. I got Best. one for you, Harry, by the way. Is it Roger Sedano? No, it's Mike Piazza. Ah, it's Mike Piazza. Your boy. Mm, Roger Sedano. Oh, power. Uh, Roger Sedano. He looks a little old here. Yeah, yeah it's, a, yeah, it's not 1998. 
I think the best I have is uh, this Cal Ripken hey, Jr. Hey, that's pretty good. It's not too bad. I that's have a Cal Ripken Jr. autograph. Too. Yes, you do have a Cal yes. Ripken Jr. autograph. And a Mike Bordick, right? Uh, Mike Bordick autograph <laughs> bat. Uh, really are... two uh, Hall of Famers. That's right. That's right. Equal caliber yes, shortstop for the Orioles. Well, one, was, one was a better shortstop for the Mets <laughs> than the other one. That is true. That is true. Because um, <laughs> Cal Ripken. I was going to say Cal Ripken. Yeah. 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 Never played for the Mets. Yeah. Right. So. So. Uh, I stalled you enough. Yeah, I know. I was so. trying to stall, trying to think of things. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is uh, on the podcast, uh, our sports podcast, you mentioned Hot Takedown. There's a segment at the end of every show that we call the Significant Digit where it, increasingly it has kind of been me trying to apply uh, stats to things and, and come up with like, you know, wh- what's the wackiest uh, direction I could take things. So, you know, we did one where we, th- this isn't like, you know, out off the wall or anything like that, but I, I kind of did a thing where I figured out how many hits Ichiro would have if he had played, uh, if you like translated his stats from Japan to the U.S. Right, using the performance right. of players that went before, between the two leagues or between the two countries. Um and found that he would have been the all-time hit leader uh, several years ago if he had really? uh, if you had taken his Japanese stats and you know assuming that he started at the age of 19 like he did in ah, Japan okay. uh, and kind of you know applied it that way but um, yeah you know it's it's things like that where uh, I like kind of going the extra mile and not stopping at you know like oh well I could have done this and you know just stopped and that would have been one thing but I'm just going to go even further and take into account this other thing but I don't know do you have any better examples Harry well I would say you know in in the political realm uh, stuff I mean we can go back and you can run regressions on any on any basic thing but for instance one cool thing that I think has been shown in a number of elections is that if you ask people not who you're going to vote for, but who you think are going to win, who's going to win the election, ah. it turns out that that question is actually, especially at the end of the campaign, uh, quite predictive of what's going to occur. Uh, so, you know, for instance, in 2012, when maybe some of the national polls showed a tighter race, most people, if you ask them, were going to say that Barack Obama was going to win that election, and that turned out to be exactly right. So that to me is like an interesting use of way of polls that it, it's a beautiful example going back over time how aggregate crowdsourcing data you know the whole idea of political markets these days or sports markets or betting how that in fact has turned out to be a pretty good way of understanding who's going to win the election uh in terms of other things that i think are interesting that you might not necessarily have thought about is you know for instance does it matter that people endorse other people um, you know, presidential candidates. It turns out that usually it does, though this year it didn't on the Republican side right, right, uh, with right. Donald Trump. But normally that's a pretty telltale sign. So it's what we can basically do is find out whether things that people thought might have mattered, do they in fact matter? And that's the same thing that Sabermetrics has kind of done. Um, what are the things that really do matter and what are the things that don't matter? And we're finding that still out in political statistics as our sample sizes grow, do certain things that we thought, you know, mattered in fact don't and other things that we didn't think that mattered maybe they do matter maybe it does matter that um you know hillary clinton is the second disliked candidate of all time even though donald trump is the most disliked maybe favorable ratings don't matter as much when candidates are so disliked as both of them are maybe it's not just about the relative difference between the two we don't know this is the thing we're living through history right now and we're going to find out but that's i think what's really exciting for me this election cycle is finding out whether or not the rules that we thought held, do they actually hold? One of the things that's uh, 
really been interesting to me with the outgrowth of um, our, you know, our website and just the internet in general is you get an opportunity to look at things in a different way. And if you really want to find a more expert opinion, perhaps something that isn't dumbed down, you get a chance to do that. And, and more than that, you get a chance to understand probabilities. Mm. So, for instance, in weather, which is another favorite topic of mine, um, you know, you watch a newscast and I think most people on TV do an adequate job of explaining things. But there was a snowstorm, for instance, this past year in New York City, which ended up being the all-time greatest snowstorm of all time. And for a while, that storm, most of the models kept things to the south of New York City, at least the majority of the precipitation. So instead of, say, being nearly a 28-inch snowstorm, most of the models were perhaps suggesting 5 to 10 or 6 to 12. And what we're able to do on the web is say, you know what, there are multiple models, there are multiple ways of looking at this, even if the 5 to 10 or 6 to 12 is the most likely outcome or most probable outcome, it doesn't mean that a 25-inch snowstorm is out of the question. And we can put that across in the web to a perhaps an audience that wants to hear about this in a way that a mainstream audience doesn't. And if you look back over the articles that I wrote just before the Iowa caucus, I love that, doing the weather just before the Iowa caucus. <laughs> I, was, I was sky high at, at that point, really had my hands full. Uh, you, you can get a real understanding that it wasn't that this storm came out of nowhere. It was just a different way of looking at things produced that could give you an idea of what was actually going to happen. And I think that's the real thing that sabermetrics have done, that political statistics have done. They've put a probability on things. Instead of it just being an approval, yes or no, there's a wide range of outcomes that are possible. And we can assign probabilities to things in ways that perhaps we weren't able to do so before. And I think it's almost like uh, the, the tide has risen across all media, whether it be in politics or in sports, where kind of now the, the conversation has shifted to the point where you have to be incorporating numbers and probabilities and, and metrics into the discussion just to kind of keep up, which I think is a huge change uh, just in the last 10 years, uh, probably, where, you know, you're not going to have these people writing these, you know, prototypical stories about how sabermetrics yeah, is, is worthless and, you know, we all we have, uh, when we have our eye test, that's all we need, things like that. Those used to crop up all the time. Murray Chass and people like that used to write them in the New York Times. And now you have, um, you know, cutting edge analysis being done at places that used to be some of the, you know, sort of mainstays of traditional thinking, which I think is kind of cool. Also, I have a Nolan Ryan card, which oh. is uh, pretty exciting. Rabid hockey fans out there, did you know Topps just unveiled a card collecting app for your Apple and Android devices? Take a moment to look up Topps NHL Skate, the brand new app that seamlessly combines the art of collecting with the competition of fantasy sports, as you can not only collect the cards, but play them as well in daily and weekly fantasy style contests. Trade with other fans all over the world who have the app so you can shape your collection however you'd like. Cards are updated in real time, so it's a great companion for those of us whose favorite hours of the week are spent sitting in front of the TV catching all of the NHL action you can. I know, I am one of those people. Head to the Apple or Google Play store today to get your hands on Topps NHL Skate. Having a mobile card collection is only a tap away. Harry, I... God, there's so much to say about this, but 
I'll just ask you one thing. Is yes. There, is there anything, anything that is actually predictable? Sure. In I, this in I, this election, I, I, I think that you know. Look, I think the thing that's absolutely true, and people need to recognize this, is there's no sign that the polls have been inaccurate. Polling as a science, which is also partially an art form as well, has been very good. The poll suggested, for instance, on the Republican side early on that Donald Trump was a force to be reckoned with. That ended up being correct. The polls didn't underestimate his performance in the primaries. Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. Polls suggest early on she was a favorite. She did end up winning. Obviously, the race tightened, but the polls showed that the race was tightening. We jumped to the general election. For the most part, the polls, to me, have made a lot of sense. You saw Hillary Clinton leading for the most part, which I think matches up with what most people have thought. You saw the conventions had made an impact. There were bounces for both candidates. Hillary Clinton saw the higher bounce. And we've since seen her bounce recede somewhat. So to me, the polls have basically held their ground. They have been pretty good. That said, that said, and this is, this is the asterisk, I would say that certain things, you know, this comes back to what I'm saying earlier in the, in the conversation, which is that we have a limited sample size of prior elections. The idea that we're going to be able to project off of the fundamentals, whatever those may be, or that the fundamentals will be perfect, I think is a fallacy, and I think we need to be very careful with that. I, I think, you know, I've said for the past five, four, four months, trust the polls. That's my, my inclination. Um, the polls are like, you know, a baseball standing in some sort of sense. Uh, you know, if someone is way up in the polls, they're probably going to win on Election Day, just like if someone is way up in the standings heading into September, they're probably going to win. That doesn't mean there can't be an epic collapse. There can be. There can be the 1964 Philadelphia Phillies. There can be the 2008 New York Mets or the 2007 Seven, yeah. New York Seven's Mets. the one that really hurt. I, I feel like eight hurt more in all honesty. Well, I think that is because it was the Marlins again that I, kept I, us I, out. So, I think I it was know. that. I think it was also how could it be happening again? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that there was a real sense. Of, We're getting off topic. Right, but, yeah, but, right, but, right. <laughs> I think they all inter- intersect with each other. Well, I was going to say something um, that what you're saying about the polls, kind of uh, the underlying uh, fundamentals and things like that kind of staying true struck me as similar to baseball last season. Uh, the projections, you know, fan graphs and baseball prospectus, Pocota, all that had a really lousy year if you were looking at what they projected and I think the poster child for that was the Royals who uh, were projected for something like 73 wins or, or, or what have you and then ended up winning the World Series but that was kind of an epidemic uh, not just them Red Sox were supposed to win 95 games ended up uh, winning 79 or, or some some about and uh, people were kind of saying oh well, maybe sabermetrics you know this is kind of a flaw maybe teams have kind of figured out a way that uh, it just doesn't work as well anymore but the interesting thing was that it all came down to sort of wins were not being predicted by run differentials by teams and run differentials were not being predicted as well by sort of the offensive and defensive events so like singles walks home runs things like that but the predictions before the season actually did a really good job of predicting those underlying numbers like the home runs and and the Mm. walks and the singles and things like that and flash forward to this year uh you know same process went into all of these projections and and it, last year was kind of viewed as a one-off fluke but may, there was i think some fear that you know maybe our tools weren't as good 
And as it turns out, this year the um, the relationship between runs and wins and offensive and defensive events and runs has kind of been restored to normal levels, and the projections have been restored to normal levels. So it's one of those things where like the variance around each of the components, if you start from a certain starting point and then you kind of build something on top of that and something on top of that to try to get your destination, which in our case is wins, in your case is you know the the, the result wins. of an election. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know there are uh, these checkpoints along the way that introduce randomness uh, you know that can kind of get between you and your fundamentals even if you predict the fundamentals well which I think is pretty much what happened last year there are things that can kind of come between that and your end result isn't the same and that's not making excuses because at the end of the day predicting wins and losses is the whole purpose of doing this it's not to predict the underlying fundamentals even if we have a handle on that if there's a reason why those are not you know doing a good job of predicting the end result you have to take that into account and you have to question that but i think that that's kind of an interesting parallel there you know to me it's i think weather kind of provides uh, a real opportunity to understand how random events can occur how things that we might not normally expect to happen can happen and that doesn't mean we should throw the whole playbook out for instance you know my babysitter nanny clara who alex obviously ah, knows, clara um, from my child, love that woman. Yeah, she's so sweet. She is. Um, lives down in Huntsville, Alabama. And, That's right. And a few years ago, they got what was it, seven or eight inches of yeah, snow. Yeah, I remember you telling me about in that. Alabama, in Huntsville, yeah, Alabama. It was really, really unbelievable. A fluke. It was a fluke. The weather models did a decent job of understanding it. Um, you know, at the time, in the same way, you know, the polls do a decent under- job of understanding um, what's actually occurring right now in this political environment, but the climate. Climatology, of course, didn't predict that at all. But you weren't going to all of a sudden go ahead and say, oh, my God, all of our tools are wrong. Climate no longer predicts anything. There are fluke events that happen. This occurs. We live in a random world. This is not a world in which everything is neat and orderly. It is sometimes messy. And you have to be able to adjust to that and recognize that your normal playbook doesn't always work. And when you can recognize that, that is when you're most successful. You can't be set in your ways. You have to recognize that your priors should be paid attention to. But at the end of the day, sometimes you got to throw those priors out the window. And what's funny is that people latch on to statistics and to the, these predictions because of, I think, that very fact that they know that it's that it's a crapshoot a lot of the time. And and so to I guess to think that, you know, I guess statisticians as well are still are trying to keep up with everything. It kind of humanizes this effort and it, it kind of brings everyone, it unifies those who are trying to find out more professionally and those who are trying to find out more in, in a layman's way. Now, I will say that, uh, you know, if there's kind of a risk or, or maybe a pitfall that uh, people have fallen into as statistics and, and even some of the stuff our boss, Nate Silver, has done over the Nathaniel years. Nathaniel Reed. That's right. Uh, <laughs> is that I think, especially in 2012, maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong about this, Harry, but that there was this sense that, you know, the 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 at the time, the New York Times model was kind of providing this comfort for people who were kind of supporting Obama. And, oh, you got a Mark McGuire, you finished the Bash Brothers. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that, you know, people sort of latched onto the numbers because they were telling them things that they wanted to hear and then got really upset when, you know, at, at, at various points we've had, you know, Republicans showing up as stronger than, than those same people would have wanted. 
people people might latch on to the right numbers for the wrong reasons now that they've kind of become you know more proliferated mm. and so i think you kind of always have to be vigilant of kind of saying like well this is why this is happening and it's uh, and, and these numbers are saying this because of these you know uh, underlying rules that we've found over the years that it's all about predictive accuracy and it's not about you know kind of if it, if it says something that you don't want to hear, you still have to kind of embrace it as much as you would if it said what you did want to hear. Chipper Jones, my Harry just threw one in front of me. Yeah, I will throw this back like a yeah, home run that was hit go. by a member of the Braves. Exactly. Yeah, and what's what's interesting is that, as you're saying, you know, people will get very comfortable with certain statistics. People got comfortable with the power ones, the you know, average and home runs and RBI runs scored. Right, those are numbers. You know, they're numbers, like... but they're not. They're not the tell-all. Yeah, but for a long time, they were the tell, along with wins and losses. Which, you know, and I and I had Brian Kenny on uh, about about a month ago. Speaking and, of proselytizing for uh, yes, metrics. yes, I had Brian on, and, who I've known for uh, a good handful of years, and. You know, any time that we talk, it's all it's almost always about the win. Um, and it's because and killing it's, it. Yes. He, he'd like to uh, he'd like to kill it very quickly uh, and painlessly. But I'd like sadly, to, that's I'd like to kill a cow and eat it for lunch. But that's just me. Right. But that's not going to happen either. So, hey, the win. Uh, the win is is a it's a tough subject for a lot of people. Um, but as we were talking, he and I, we were discussing how, you know, I essentially asked him, what is, what's the statistic that you want to have, to be? And I'll put the question to you. What's the statistic, what's the statistic that doesn't exist yet, but that you wish it did? Oh, interesting. Um, you know, this one, uh, I think people have tried to do it, but I, I don't think it's been mainstreamed in any way, shape or form, but I'd like to see something, you know, they have, um, they have win probability added for uh, individual games in baseball, so you can, you know, say how much of a, an outcome was due to this specific play, and then you know if you add that up for all of a player's played appearances in a game, you can figure out how much of a win a player added to. I'd like to see that expanded to, especially for the purposes of conversations about the MVP race. You know, take it to its logical conclusion and talk about like you know pl- uh, playoff odds added or pennants added. You know, some division. Championships added, okay. so we could actually say, well, you know, this guy hit really well down the stretch of the season. I, you know, Cespedes last year was kind of an example of that, where you know he uh, he wasn't even in the National League uh, for 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 the first part of the season, and then uh, down the stretch there was a lot of conversation based on how well he hit for the Mets in in uh, you know the division championship chase of uh, winning the National League MVP, and I think something like that could actually kind of balance that out and say, well, these games based based on the leverage and the importance toward winning the division do take on increased importance. But was that enough versus someone who, you know, uh, hit well throughout the entire season and, and had been consistent in that regard. So I'd like to see that get used more and we could even apply it to playoff series where we could say, you know, how many world series were added by someone based on, you know, Bill Mazeroski would get like uh, an enormous world series (laughs) added for his home run in in game seven uh, in in 1960. All right, Harry. So what is your wish of a statistic to exist? And it could be in sports or politics, or you can give one in both. Well, I'd really like to get I I think, you know, for me in, in sports, 
I go back, I think baseball's done a pretty good job of statistics and um, we have a pretty good idea of what's going on. But I think in football, we have much less of an idea of what's going on. And I think there's a lot more randomness. Why did such a player do so well with Team X and then fail when it came to Team Y? Mm. And I think that's especially the case uh, with running the football. I think that the understanding of how much of so-and-so's success was because of the offensive line that he right. had. And I think, you know, obviously we have statistics that try and understand how good the O-line is and how good the running back is. But I don't think there's a real, uh, at least for the normal consumer, and I, I'm not just even talking about, you know, like the guy sitting on his couch who watches occasionally, but even for someone like me, just to be able to pull out and say, you know what, when Clinton Portis is traded from the Broncos to the to the Washington Redskins, um, for how, Champ Bailey, I'll never for forget Champ that. Bailey, never forget that. And man, boy, that was highway robbery. Yeah, it was. It was highway robbery. It was. And I, I think that if we could get an understanding about how good a running back actually is, how much they actually add, I'm very interesting as a Bills fan to seeing how Lashawn McCoy does this mm. upcoming year, uh, to see you know how much he's really does add to the Bills. I, I think at the end of the day, it was probably a smart trade with Kiko Alonso being injured sure. so much. And obviously, I believe, where is Kiko now? Uh, I think that's the point. Well, he, uh, he was on <laughs> Philly, but I think now he might be with the Dolphins, maybe? I don't, I don't sure. even know. Uh, yeah. So I think that was a smart trade. But, you know, I think that's a real a real uh, position where I'm, I'm very interested in what's going on. One more in football that I kind of just find interesting is, um, you know, the reliance of the, the kickers. I, I think kicking is such an interesting thing. And, you know, they say, oh, never draft a kicker, so on, so forth. And um, I, I would love if we had just some real understanding of, you know, how much better kicker X was from kicker Y. You know, obviously there is, um, you know, they're long and, you know, field goals made and so on and so forth. But, I, I you know, some guys stick how How good actually is Adam Vinatieri? I don't, you know. And I'm pronouncing we were talking that about this uh, in the Pat the Summerall yes, pronunciation. Yes, I noticed that. Adam Vinatieri. That's because you've watched uh, what the 2001 Super Bowl. I think I was watching YouTube? the '96 Super Bowl. That's how. Oh, old. that's 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 how old Adam Vinatieri. Wow. Is. Yeah, still going, still that's going. Ama- that at is least, amazing. At least I didn't bring up Jason Hansen. You know, from a fantasy aspect, because so much of these statistics in sports now are really trying to assist these fantasy players. Uh, you know, how do you see these stats evolving in accordance with these fantasy players? I'm wondering if fantasy is not going to evolve to include things more than just sort of like, you know, yards and touchdowns right. and catches. Because all of what we're talking about here, or a big part of it, is... Not just flaws in our ability to kind of predict things, but also flaws in those particular statistical categories, which were being tracked, you know, 50 years ago. And now we actually have, you know, some better metrics of value, which are still, you know, noisy uh, and, and certainly are not like telling you this was this guy's exact contribution in 
the absence of the 10 other players that are on the field with him, uh, football is always going to be a sport where it's going to be really tough to kind of disentangle one guy's contribution from his teammates just because there's a lot of teamwork going on on every play. But, um, you know, the, the one of the more interesting things that I've seen about running backs in particular is Football Outsiders, uh, which is a site that kind of is one of the all-time greats at, you know, doing uh, statistical analysis in football. They do this thing called adjusted line yards where they kind of figure out uh, by doing a series of analyses on what tends to be predictive about uh, running backs, you know, going forward. Like if, if you pick up uh, yardage within, you know, maybe like first level yardage. So you get through the, the offensive line and then you get met by the linebackers. That's actually mostly the offensive line. And when you kind of try to predict things going forward uh, with or without a certain running back, it, it turns out that the same offensive line with a different running back produces similar results for you know, picking up those easy yards within a few yards of the line of scrimmage. When you get further downfield, that's when it starts to become more the running back and the offensive line has not much to do with it, which makes sense because it involves not just going through the hole that someone has opened for you, but also breaking tackles and having the vision to kind of, you know, make things happen on your own down the field. And so they have a way of kind of discounting those yards close to the to the line of scrimmage, including if you get stuff behind the line, it's practically not your fault at all because you know the offensive line right. didn't do that and the quarterback didn't make a good read frankly you know the defense so they kind of have a way of downplaying those yards and, and giving more credit to the yards down the field and that that might give you a more accurate estimation of like how good a running back has been by weighting the things that he is more responsible for more I think that there's obviously some truth to that I mean if you look for instance at the 1970 when was the year that OJ Simpson broke 2,000 yards 72 72 or 73 I can't exactly remember I'll look but, it up but the backup running if only there were yeah websites I, th- I know I don't think so I think on opening day uh, when OJ ran for what was it like 270 yards or some insane number uh, the the backup running back also ran for over 100 yards uh, so I think there's obviously some truth in that uh, but you know I think what's so interesting is we still see teams make trades for running backs um less so now less so but we still see it we still see it um and i don't know if that's because there's some front offices that don't exactly um subscribe to the point of view that you know that the offensive line is really what's key or maybe it's that there is a difference between different running backs or that we're not actually able to tease out still what that exactly is Mm. 1973 by the way it was 73 i was right punk Sorry, buddy. <laughs> um, and so, um, and then who's the backup running back? Of that? Oh, let Who's me that see. Bill's backup running back? Hold he probably on. ran for Keep talking, I'll find it. Um, but, I, you know, so I think that that's still going on very much so. And just relating it back to politics, I think that there's a lot that we don't necessarily know or things that, you know, some questions perhaps that get at what's going to ultimately occur that we don't really really know you know if you look for instance in this past election cycle in the republican primary normally a candidate who's polling at 15 to 20 percent who has universal name recognition and a favorable rating that isn't that high doesn't tend to win primaries well apparently one of them does (laughs) so you know you have to go back over time and exactly figure out what were the rules that we thought we knew and what didn't we know I think we need to be careful about not getting ahead of ourselves. At the end of the day, this is a business in which the only statistic that matters is wins. And sometimes there are some players 
who get to wins in untraditional methods. And they're not the rule, and we need to recognize that. We shouldn't necessarily project others based off of them, but recognize that they do occur occasionally, and we need to confront that. That's a great point. That might be the Kansas City Royals model of uh, election predicting <laughs> or what have you. Exactly. By the way, the backup running back that had over 100 yards in that game was Larry Watkins. How many did he have for the season? Not a lot. <laughs> let me let me get, uh, let's see, 73, 414. Oh, wow. So he basically got one quarter of his yards in the first game. More than, yeah. Um, what I am interested now is knowing what your guys' thoughts are on the potential future um, of statistics in, let's say, let's start with baseball. And I want to know if you think there's really far to go to getting to where you guys kind of want it to be as statisticians. And I mean, is, are we a long way away from kind of getting to that statistical mecca if it ever even could it possibly exist i think we're pretty close to being there on offense okay and you know we kind of have yeah, a we do pretty got good a long way to go on defense. idea but <laughs> yeah what i was going to say is that uh, you know things like Statcast and some of these you know new technologies where they're able to track things that you really did not have any way of measuring in yeah. the past and and it goes right now a lot of the stuff is focused on exit velocity and launch angle and those are kind of the things that get provided to the public, but there's going to be a lot more things coming out uh, over the next few years that really tell us about defense, I think, is the big thing, like being able to quantify who gets the best jump on a ball uh, and and who's positioned the best. And even then, you still won't be able to kind of disentangle that from the manager because then you'll have to figure out, is it something that the player is just kind of intuiting on his own? Is he, right. you know, is the bench coach doing a great job of setting the alignments, especially now that shifts are so prevalent? It probably is yeah. more so the latter. Um, but, but at least you're going to be able to figure out, like, who has the best range because you're going to know exactly exactly where every fielder is at the moment of contact and then figure out how quickly they got from point A to point B before the ball got there. Spoiler um, alert, by the way, it's Billy Hamilton. <laughs> uh, did you see that catch I fairly had, recently yeah. where he ran like almost the length of a football field? And they'll show that. You know, they'll amazing. actually, you know, they, they'll, they'll show that in bits and pieces. I think, um, you know, the teams themselves have access to the data and are kind of crunching it. So I think once we get there, I don't know if we'll still be, you know, the Holy Grail yet, uh, but, but it's it's all about like incremental improvement i think at this point where like a lot of the easy gains and the low-hanging fruit have been picked and then now it's about kind of making the small changes to kind of get ever closer to that ideal thanks for listening to tops talk and we hope you hear us again soon you can subscribe to us on itunes audiobook soundcloud and stitcher and you can find us of course here on the fantasy sports network you can also find us on Twitter at Topstalk. If you have any questions or comments or would like to tell us your collecting story on a future episode, email us at Topstalk at Tops.com. Special thanks goes to Clay Laraski, Leanne Minutoli, Susan Lejudai, Kevin Moody, Chris Vaccaro, Harry Enton, and Neil Payne. <laughs>